Hey, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all the dots that connect our lives to the world outside our door. How's that for a good long conversation? I wrote the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, and we started this podcast as a way to get more information to women and families about health and healthcare, current events, and stuff in the news, and the politics and policies that impact our abilities to get good care and have good births and raise our children well, and most importantly, to thrive as women because yeah, we all want a healthy baby and a child who can grow up to be whoever they want, but we want that for mom too. And if mom ain't happy and healthy, nobody in the family is going to be thriving either. So start with women, give us the resources and support we ask for, and then get out of the way because we'll take it from there, right? So that's what this podcast is about, those issues. So when I'm not writing and podcasting and all of that, what else do I do? It depends on the day of the week. Um, I have two books in stores, the aforementioned Common Sense Pregnancy and my older book, The Complete Illustrated Birthing Companion. And I have my newest book, Mom's Side of the Story or Mom's SOS, which I'm selling uh, directly off my website, jeanfogner.com. Um... I sure would like your feedback on that one, on Mom's SOS. How do you like it? Is it useful? Is it helping you to think through who you are as a woman right now who is pregnant or a new mother or how you want your pregnancy, prenatal care, and motherhood to go from here? I think that there is a lot of value in the power of intention and reflection and setting goals and, you know, refining your thoughts about what you want. And I really hope that my listeners are taking this transformative time in your lives, and I hope you're writing it out. It's a story you're going to want to remember forever and to tell forever. And I hope you're documenting your experience you know, from your perspective with at least as much frequency and regularity as your healthcare providers will. Some women, you know, they're just, they want to wing it and they take the whatever happens, happens approach to prenatal care. And, you know, they simply hope for the best. That's a really popular approach that a lot of women take, especially if they're not particularly experienced at receiving healthcare or if they don't have a lot of background knowledge about the medical world. Then you know what? That's a lot, a lot, a lot of women who are pregnant because, you know, for a lot of us, that's the first time in our lives that we've ever really needed any specific health care. Before that, we've been fine. You get the flu, you go to the doctor, they give you the prescription, you're okay. Um, so for a lot of women, they approach their health care with, you know, just a lot of trust and hope that their providers have their best intentions at heart. And they really do. Most of the time, this works out for a lot of women because truly most doctors, nurses, midwives are really, they really are in this business because they want the best outcome for everybody, mom, baby, and the doctor and midwife and nurse. They're in it too, right? Your healthcare providers are in it too. 
They've got a license and malpractice insurance to protect and a hospital administration and legal department watching over them. You better believe it impacts their perspective and your care. And then there's a, you know, there's a third camp of women and you and your providers predict that you might have trouble during your pregnancy or birth um, because you have health complications or because your family has a legacy of tough pregnancies. Um, that approach kind of places you under the looking glass where your care might be focused primarily on looking for trouble. And that can be a great thing for certain women because you you want them to be on the lookout. They want to make, make sure that mom's health is protected. But it can also lead to a whole lot of extra tests performed, you know, sort of in that just in case category. And those can lead to other tests and those can lead to other tests. And that's the domino effect we often talk about. And almost always mom and baby turn out just fine. But sometimes it it can come at a cost of all of those extra tests and interventions. And in my opinion, I think the best way to approach your care, whether you're healthy as can be and anticipate no trouble at all, or you're facing a health thing or two and you need special care, I I think your best approach is to be thoughtful, to learn, to consider all your options, and then make your own choices. Yeah, make your own choices. Use your, you know, knowledge, your knowledge of your own body and history, consult the people around you, your doctors, your nurses and midwives and any specialists you need. Um, They're there as consultants to provide the information you need to help you make decisions. They're not there to make your healthcare decisions for you, even though they very well may present it that way. Nope. It's up to you ultimately. So own it, will ya? Own it. Get the book give me your opinion, and write your own story. Okay, let's talk about current events for a minute. So I am recording this on July 18th, and I like to do my introductory ramble as close to the date of our podcast goes live each week as possible so I can, you know, address anything that's come up in the news. It doesn't always work that way, but it's nice when it does. Well, this week, our president, President Trump, let loose a firestorm of racist tweets about four U.S. Congresswomen um, who are women of color, all either born here in the United States or a naturalized citizen. And then he doubled down and tripled down and tweeted more and more and on subsequent days. And then last night he hosted a hate rally in Greenville, North Carolina, Carolina, where he cemented his racism in stone in front of the entire world, broadcast it to the entire world and incited supporters to chance send her home. This is appalling. This is dangerous. This is frightening. And I'm waiting to see what Congress does today. We have never in the history of this nation heard a president spew such vitriol, such outright lies and hatred at anyone, much less at an elected, respected member of the House of Representatives. This is dangerous to all of us, and I'm deeply concerned about what happens next. So, to anyone out there who wants to know what to do, call your senator and congressperson, especially if they're Republican, and tell them you won't stand for this. Tell them what you think of his hate-mongering, racism, and lies. 
And if you're listening to the podcast from outside the United States, please know most Americans don't think like this, not even most Republicans. I know many, and they are good, strong, moral people. Our leadership right now is deeply off kilter. Yes, systemic, personal, and institutional racism is a huge part of our culture, and every white person, myself included, must own that. But please know, most of us don't hold hatred for people of other colors, countries, cultures, or creeds in our hearts. Most of us are good, kind, loving people, and we all have our faults, biases, and ignorances, and we have heaps of it. And we're trying to do the right thing. The thing is, folks, trying just isn't good enough at a time in history like this. Right now, we have to nail it. We have to open our hearts. We have to listen, listen, listen. We have to start hard conversations. We have to make friends with people we don't know. We have to make phone calls. We have to join, reach, and startle people with connection. This is a time in your life of radical transformation on so many levels. And right now, we're seeing the ugliest side of it represented in our government. But we have the power to change things in the direction we want them to go. This is important because you're about to start raising the next generation. This world is changing fast, faster than it ever has, ever. What kind of world do you want your child living in and leading in? It's now, people. It's right now. So there is a lot going on out there in the world. And I don't know if it's because I'm a ridiculously sensitive person, if it's the big eclipse happening right now, or if it's the fact that I am living life on all burners, but I am definitely feeling the edge. People are brittle and cranky. And over the past couple of days, I have been too. I'm totally aware of it. And I know that I have a lot of control over it. So here's what I do. I'm old enough now to know that when I'm feeling fried, you know, like every muscle, nerve, and thought is fraying at both ends. And when I have just too much to do to even take a breath, then what I'd better do is exactly that. I better take a freaking breath. Literally, I better stop for a minute or 20, sit my butt down and do some deep, deliberate, fully aware breathing, aka meditation or just a few mindful moments. Then I better make time and actually do it for some good, vigorous exercise. The kind that makes me breathe hard and fast, take in waves of fresh air and let out gobs of stale. I breathe, I exercise, and I look at my overflowing to-do list and I get really real. What's on this list that's really important, really critical, what absolutely has to get done? What's optional? What's something that I could do tomorrow? What's just something I ought to do or I think I should do, but... And then what's totally fun and something I want to do? Guess which ones I cross off today's list and slide to tomorrow's or next week? Yep, the stuff I ought to but don't want to. If it isn't fun, important, or absolutely has to get done, then I get real. I'm cranky. I'm tired. I'm fried. I do what I have to, and then I take care of myself, my body, mind, nerves, and soul, and that's my best for the day. 
I wish I had known this big secret back when I was, you know, pregnant or a new mom. I wish I had known when I had toddlers and babies and high schoolers and aging parents that I wish I had known that taking care of myself in this way, it would just would have made everything easier. Now, I know now though, and the difference it makes in my health and productivity and happiness is astounding. This is the stuff kids should be learning in school. This is the important stuff, the how to do life information everybody really needs. Anyway, we're going to talk more about this with this week's guest right after this break. Okay, we're back. And this week, we're going to talk with Constance Hartwell about her work as a yoga and meditation teacher. Um, she works very closely with pregnant women. Constance was born and raised in South Central Los Angeles. She is a yoga and meditation teacher specializing in vinyasa flow, pregnancy yoga, and restorative yoga. After years of dealing with mental illness, yoga helped Constance connect to the divine source of love. Her aim is to share her practice in hopes of helping her community heal and find their own special magic. Outside of yoga, Constance loves cooking vegan food and spending time at the beach. She teaches weekly prenatal yoga at Moms at Ohm in Culver City, and we get to talk to her right now. Hi, Constance. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, Jeannie. I'm good. How are you? I am doing really well, really well. It's a kind of an overcast day here in Portland, Oregon. And you're in LA, right? Los Angeles? Yes, I'm in LA. It's very sunny and bright. Nice weather we're having today. Mm, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. What's the temperature? <laughs> What's it like? Maybe like mid seventies, almost eighty degrees. It's really, it's really nice outside. Oh my gosh! Okay, well, <laughs> there you go. I lived in LA until I was in my early thirties, and then I moved to Portland, Oregon. And people often oh. ask me, with all the whining and complaining that I do about the weather up here, people will ask me, "What am I doing here?" I do think LA is my natural <laughs> climate. Yes, we do have perfect weather all year round. So yeah. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. So you and I are talking during a week when um, Southern California has just been hit by two major earthquakes. You okay? Mm -hmm. Everybody good? We're good. Um, it's funny. The first earthquake that happened, I was actually in a yoga class with my husband. And the yoga teacher was like, everyone get out. Wow. And we all ran out of the studio, and it was just so comical. Because it was no big you know, deal luckily, in town, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, luckily everyone was safe, and, you know, we were able to continue with the yoga class a few moments after. Um, the second earthquake, I was actually in my apartment alone, and I'm pretty high up in my building on the fifth floor. So mm -hmm. it was a little startling, but, you know, everything went well. I'm safe everything's good. So I'm grateful for that. We lived in, um, my husband and I lived in Hollywood, California when we were expecting our first baby. And that was back in 1987. And th we mm -hmm. had this really big, um, beautiful, like seven or eight foot 
mirror that we had leaning up against a wall and it was an heirloom piece that we'd gotten from my husband's father and it wasn't anchored and the baby was not born yet and that earthquake happened and the mirror crashed across the hall and into what would have been what was the baby's room and broke all over the place and boy I felt like well you know what good that that happened now huh good that it happened now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Oh my God. Yeah. I did not That's think about. Born too. Oh, you're a baby in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> born in LA? Yeah, I was born and raised in LA. What yeah. hospital were you born, born in? Um, it was a hospital in Culver City that no longer exists. Okay. I don't remember the exact name, but okay. it was somewhere in Culver City. Okay. I did all my nursing yeah. training at LA County Hospital. And then okay. I, I worked at um, Queen of Angels, Hollywood, Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital, and then over at uh, St. Joseph's in the Valley before I moved to Portland. Okay. Yeah. So you're in my neighborhood. We're neighbors, practically. Yes, I'm in Hollywood. So you're in Hollywood? Yes, I'm in Hollywood. Okay, where? I'm sorry, guest. You're just going to oh. have to listen to this because <laughs> she's in my hometown. I lived in Hollywood, too. I lived on Formosa between Sunset and Hollywood. And then I lived in yeah. the Los Feliz area. I stay right around the corner from Hollywood and Highland. So I'm right there in the middle of all the madness. Ooh, that's a fun neighborhood. In the middle of the madness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, all right. We got to quit talking about our local digs and talk about you. That's my first question usually after I quit whining about the weather is the hard <laughs> one. Who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Constance and I am a yoga teacher. I started off teaching power yoga and I did that for a few years before transitioning to pregnancy yoga and that's what I teach full-time. Uh, I also just became a birth doula mm-hmm. with Mama Glow. Mm-hmm. It's a doula school that's based in Brooklyn with Latham Thomas. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing my training with her. I have the postpartum training that I will do next year. And I'm just doing the whole pregnancy thing. It's really nice. It's been a beautiful journey so far, meeting so many amazing teachers and just advancing in my career. It's a really cool community. It's people that are really mm-hmm. um, compassionate and, uh, you know, it, it's a no matter where a person enters the birth world, as I call it, it it's a special mm-hmm. tribe. It's a special tribe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it really is such a beautiful community of healers and women coming together, you know, because there's just so much hatred in the world. So it's nice when we can come together and help each other out during this vulnerable time. Yeah. You know, it's easy for people mm-hmm. to come together for the babies because they're so darn cute and yeah. we love them so much. <laughs> it's harder, That's though. True. Yeah, I know. I mean, they're just naturally appealing. And thank goodness, because there's so much trouble, right? But it's harder, I think, for people to come together for the woman, you know, because yeah. we we frame our prenatal care experiences around the baby and what's best for the baby. 
And exactly, we need to, you know, take a step back and say, well, wait, 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 wait. It's really about the woman. If you take care of the woman, baby's going to be fine. It works that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, tell me, tell me how you found your way into the pregnancy world. How did it, you go from, you know, power yoga to pregnancy yoga? What, what happened? Well, in my vinyasa classes, I would have a lot of pregnant students Mm -hmm. come into my classes and I felt very self-conscious about teaching them. It's like, oh my gosh, what do I do? So I would just put them in a restorative pose and, you know, just kind of leave them there. (laughs) And I was like, you know, I should really learn how to deal with this changing body. Like, you know, train with an expert who can teach me. So I Googled prenatal yoga in Los Angeles and Silver Lake Yoga popped up. And I did a prenatal yoga teacher training at Silver Lake Yoga with Juliet Kurt. Mm-hmm. And she's been teaching prenatal yoga for almost as long as I've been alive. And I'm 31. So <laughs> she's been teaching for a very long time. And once I did the training, I still had no idea that I would be teaching prenatal yoga primarily. Mm-hmm. I really just wanted to educate myself. So every now and then I would sub a prenatal class, but I was still teaching vinyasa flow. And then after a while, over time, I noticed that my prenatal classes outweighed my power yoga classes. And then eventually, I just started teaching more prenatal and no more vinyasa. So now that's where I am. Um, I teach Sunday through Friday prenatal yoga. So it's full time. Mm -hmm. And I also have my private clients um, that I teach, though. So I got it's questions here. Got questions. Yeah. So starting with, <laughs> you know, I've I've done vinyasa yoga. It's been a it's been a good number of years. But for our listeners mm-hmm. who have not, I mean, we should probably describe it. I would describe it as it's the it's the fast moving one where you repeat a lot of different asanas or poses. Is it like something like twenty two or twenty seven set ones that you do, or am I way off? on this um i think that's bikram yoga which i don't teach oh that's Um, hot yoga that's i can't do yeah that's hot yoga no not not for me (laughs) no not for me i i tried though i tried practicing hot yoga a few times and it's just (laughs) it's just way too hot for me like i need that california breeze you know (laughs) i literally i literally left a bikram class in the middle of it crying because I was so hot. And, ooh, that teacher yes. gave me the stink eye. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go back. <laughs> yes, it's, it's pretty intense. Yeah. But vinyasa flow is more of a mindfulness practice that ties breath with movement. And it can get pretty physical, but it's primarily a spiritual and mental practice. And I studied with Dan Wars at Santa Monica Power Yoga mm-hmm. at Brian Cass Studio. And I studied there in 2013 after practicing for eight years. And I just started teaching right away. Like right after my training, a month later, I started teaching. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing with prenatal yoga. A month after my prenatal yoga teacher training, I just went straight out there, you know. 
And just looking back, I was such a bad teacher. <laughs> you were a bad teacher? But, oh, I was such a bad teacher. I didn't know what to do. And, <laughs> you know, but that's, that's just what it is, you yeah. know. And then with practice and with building a community with your students and building their trust, um, you know, you just get better. Yeah. So I'm really grateful for those amazing students. <laughs> the ones that let you learn on them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, any profession or any job that we got to, we always have to be new at it at some point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Yeah. So that's how you found your way into the prenatal yoga space. And yes. I mentioned, you know, I read in your, in your bio that you found your way to yoga after years of dealing with mental illness. And I think that's so yeah. true that a lot of us have found that yoga and meditation and other mindfulness practices, they're all ways to, you know, connect with our spiritual core, but they also help us with anxiety and depression or, you know, as I, I you know, call it just simply keeping all the squirrels running in the same direction on any given day, you know. How, yes, that's true. How did you find your way to yoga and how did it help you? Um, well, I started practicing yoga as a college course um, my first year in college. I wanted to take a Pilates course, but the Pilates class was to capacity. So I thought, okay, I'll just take this yoga class. Let's see what this is about. And at the time, I was going to therapy on a weekly basis. And I started practicing yoga, and it was in this one class. We were in a hip opener. I don't remember which one it was. Automatically, I just started crying, and I'm mm -hmm. so confused. Like, what's going on? Why am I crying? Mm -hmm. So I had a conversation with a yoga teacher after class, and she said, you know, we hold a lot of tension, a lot of trauma and pain in our bodies, and they stay there until we release them, you know? Yeah. So with me going to therapy and learning about body awareness, both of those tools really opened up the gates um, for my internal healing. Yeah. And it was actually my therapist who told me that I should take yoga more seriously. And that's exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of, a lot of women, um, when they come to their pregnancy, prenatal care or labor or the delivery room, that's when those past traumas or anxieties or, you know, the things that you were mentioning are stored in the body. They come mm -hmm. a calling during those times. And, oh, if more women were able to tap into that and start that healing before they get to those prenatal experiences, it'd be so much less of a traumatic experience. Do you know, is that making sense? Does that make yes, sense? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I love teaching prenatal yoga because there's so much fear surrounded, surrounding pregnancy. Yeah. And when they come into my classes, you know, I'm not a mother myself. I've never given birth, but I've watched all of my older sisters give birth. I have 10 nieces and nephews. So I've been surrounded by children my entire life. Yeah. And I've seen how, traumatic those experiences can be yeah so I like to have my classes as a space of healing with no fear you know mm -hmm. it's a, a community of love mm -hmm. and when they come into my classes I like to use the mindfulness practices that I've learned 
in yoga as a way to alleviate that fear both on and off the mat. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So how do you help? Okay, so I I like getting super practical. Like how Mm -hmm. do you take what you learn on the mat and translate that into reducing fear during your pregnancy? So one of the ways that I really enjoy doing that is just using the breath. Mm -hmm. It sounds like such a simple tool, but it can be difficult for a lot of people to really just tune in to your energy, tune in to your breath, and just really create that mindfulness practice within yourself. I like to always say that you can only breathe in this moment. You can't jump into the past and, and inhale, and you can't jump into the future and exhale. You can only breathe in the here and now. Yeah. And going through the labor and delivery, it's such a now moment, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's so present. So I like to do a lot of pranayama, which Mm -hmm. is breath control. So we may count our breath or we'll inhale for five counts, we'll hold and then exhale for another five counts. And we do that repeatedly. They start to tune into their energy. They start to tune in to that intuition. And that is what will guide them during the labor and delivery process, you yeah. know. And in that space, there's no fear. There's only presence and there's only love. Yeah. I know that, you know, remembering my own labors and, all, you know, also the thousands and thousands of women whose births that I've been at, it isn't necessarily the contraction you're having in the moment that is unendurable. It's the thought that you might have to do a few hundred more just like it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's anticipating all of the stuff that could happen down the road. And then you convince yourself, no, I can't do this. But actually, you only have to do this one, just do it right now. The others will take care of themselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that, you know, I always, I I think that many, many people take the breath for granted. I mean, we do it all day long. Mm -hmm. We don't think about it. It's just something you do, you know, like swallowing and blinking, except for you can't live without it. (laughs) You know, exactly. (laughs) It's the one thing that we should really be paying attention to, because when you stop breathing, it's over. (laughs) Yes. And that's when you pay attention to it. You know, like when you're choking or if you're coughing or if there's danger. Yeah. That's when you pay attention to it. Yeah. We really do take it for granted. Yeah. 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 I'm a swimmer. That's my natural sport. And um, Mm. so you way before I learned anything about meditation or yoga, I learned about breath control. And, um, Mm. and I think runners get into their, you know, their kind of their zone. And a lot of it has to do with the rhythm of breathing. You know? Yeah. 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 Do you think of yoga as a sport? No. (laughs) As a spiritual practice. Yeah. Yeah. I do think of it as a holistic way of, you know, just tuning into who you are on a physical, spiritual, and emotional level. Um, there are some people who do say that it's a sport. Mm-hmm. I disagree, but, you know, um, that's perfectly fine. I just see it as a spiritual practice. And I bet back in the day when I was doing quite a bit of, of core power yoga, there was um, there were always those people that would come to the the studio and come to the mat and they're like, Oh, let's do this. 
go, you know, because <laughs> it was kind of funny. Like, yeah. But, yeah, but the good thing about yoga is, you know, and one of the reasons why I don't judge those who come to yoga <laughs> from a physical perspective mm -hmm. is because this practice is so powerful, you yeah. know? You start on the physical, but with time, eventually you'll get to the root of what yoga really is about. There's no know? avoiding it. There really isn't. It comes exactly. for everybody eventually. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think sometimes when people say, oh, I just can't do that. I just can't do that. I'm not, I can't meditate. I can't do yoga. Well, they're not ready for what's coming. <laughs> you know exactly <laughs> <laughs> they'll get there yeah, yeah so I just give them the space you know and yeah. they'll find their way whether it's yoga or maybe it's another form of mindfulness yeah eventually they'll find their way yeah yeah so you know for a lot of women their prenatal yoga class kind of becomes their their postpartum community and their lifeline you know it it not only helps yeah. them reconnect with their own body after you know having a about a year of you know sharing their body with a, another person and then giving birth mm -hmm. to that other body you know yeah but i think it's it's also kind of especially important the prenatal yoga experience because we live in this online life now and we have remote careers and we're also isolated and mm -hmm. having real human interactions with communities of people that are going through similar experiences, you know, starting families, being pregnant, entering the healthcare system, you know, raising our children. We need communities to help us do that. And it's hard to find that. And I yeah. think that, you know, prenatal yoga and group prenatal healthcare and other pregnancy focused events are a way to do that. What do you see? What do you see in your communities? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And that's one of the reasons why I love uh, teaching at Moms at Home. It's a pregnancy yoga studio in Culver City. And all we do is prenatal and postpartum care. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of these moms, they meet each other during the <clears throat> prenatal process. They have their babies and then they come back for postpartum care and they get to bond again. Mm -hmm. And they get to bond with their babies. They get to share their stories, their fears, you know, um, the situations they went through in the hospital or birthing center. Mm -hmm. And they get to communicate um, those things with people who understand them and people who come uh, from a place of love and non-judgment. So I just think it's a beautiful experience to, you know, go through that process with the same women. You yeah, know, you yeah. keep seeing the same faces, you build that community of trust, of love. And, you know, it's really wonderful to watch because there aren't many spaces, especially in L.A., where women can just come together with no judgment. Right. You know, right. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, hopefully you can take those relationships that you formed there and, you know, take them back to your house, take them back to your backyard, go to preschool with the same families. You know, this is how you raise your children together. It's how it's exactly. done. Yeah. 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 And I wish that more people realized that th these are going to be your people. If you're lucky and you invest in it, you know, you think that, I mean, it, it's one of the greatest opportunities in your life for making relationships and connecting with other people and forming community is when you are pregnant and when you have very young children. Mm 
and when you have children in school, because as Mm -hmm. you get older, there are fewer opportunities for that. You know, a lot of it happens through kids a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, we don't think about that until we're years down the road. We look back and say, huh, yeah, maybe I should have invested more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. So I love the community that we have with our students. You know, they all know each other. They see each other weekly. And, you know, many of them deliver in the same hospital. So mm-hmm. it's a great bonding experience for them to see each other. Yeah. So yeah. I'm grateful for that. Constance, we're going to take a real quick break for one of our sponsors, and we will be right back. We're back. Thanks. Um, hey. Hey. So, you know, we were just talking about community and creating community and you're in your introduction, you know, you mentioned that your aim is to help your community heal and to find their own magic. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering first, who is your community? Who are these the people that are coming to you in, in your classes? Yes. Yeah, so my community, my first community is black women. Um, the maternal mortality rate for black women in the U.S. is insane. Yeah. So many black women are dying unnecessarily in the hospital setting. They're dying from, you know, postpartum health issues. And I like to use my my knowledge as a doula, and I just became a doula this past mm-hmm. January. Mm-hmm. I like to use my knowledge as a doula and a pregnancy yoga teacher to really help these women advocate for themselves, to empower them, to ask the necessary questions to the doctors, to, you know, just really look out for themselves. Yeah. Because in many of these hospital settings, no one is really looking out for them. That's know? so true. You know, we know that, you know, the maternal mortality rate for black women is as much as four times what it is for white women. And, you know, yeah. It's largely attributed to systemic racism. And I've been working in labor and delivery and women's health forever. And we've been talking in the global and domestic maternal health community for a decade now about systemic racism. And so we've Mm -hmm. been looking at this information for a long time. What's taken so long? Oh, my gosh. I mean, when it comes to black issues, especially for black women, I mean, People just neglect our issues. Racism is just so deeply rooted um, in American society that people really don't think about it until it becomes an issue for them personally, you right. know? Right. So a lot of the black women in these hospital settings, they're being overlooked, they're being forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's inconsistent providers and, mm-hmm. you know, lack of education. And many times these these mothers, they they feel disempowered, you yeah. know, and they don't know how to stand up for themselves. So I think it's really important for the doulas to really step up and help them out and, you know, just really be there for the entire family. I agree. I think it's really, really important. Yeah. I think that that's a big part of where community comes together, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's really hard to speak up to authority, you know, and when you are in yes. a really vulnerable situation, like being in pain or in healthcare, you know, you're vulnerable. 
And it's a hard moment to pull your power and say, you know, it's, it's hard. And what we've seen so much over this last year is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you are highly educated or famous or, you know, Serena Williams. It's yeah. Yeah. This Serena Williams and Beyonce. Yes. Both of them nearly died. It's pervasive. Yes. It's pervasive. Mm -hmm. It's pervasive. Some of it, I, I worry that we translate, um, extra medical care with extra health care. So I think that a big part of, I mean, like, first of all, I have to say, I don't have the solutions. I don't know. I'm just giving opinions here from what I've seen working in the industry as a nurse is that I think that as a healthcare industry, we try to be really culturally sensitive, but we're pretty ignorant. I think mm-hmm. that we're under so much pressure to perform, um, you know, certain quality measures and focus on certain things that are, we're told are priorities and not given enough time and support to really focus on the human priorities of patient care. And I think that all of that comes together to make it a hard job, you know, no matter what. But I think that there's also this thing about we don't want to just layer on more and more and more medical care to people because that starts the dominoes dropping of over intervention too, you know? Yeah. On the back. We need holistic care. We do because yeah, maybe certain women do require extra ultrasounds and more screening exams and all of those things, which are so, so, so valuable Mm -hmm. and important in certain situations. But what women might need more of is learning about stress reduction, looking at Mm -hmm. what their entire life is about, talking about nutrition, you know, just the whole, all of us as women, the whole woman. And I think that that's what's missing. People don't want to look at a whole woman. Yeah, just they just want to look at parts. You yeah. Know? And another thing that women need, many women just need someone to talk to. Yeah. They just need a listening ear. Yes. You know? Yes. Many times they're they're silenced and you know they don't have a voice to really speak, and that creates a lot of issues for them in the hospital setting, especially yeah. women of color. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. I think so. We have to listen to women. We have to listen to women, and. We have to train women to speak up. I'm not saying that it's women's fault. I'm saying we need to do this as life training to teach women how to use their voices. You know, I bet you're doing some of that. I bet that's part of what you're doing in your communities and classes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So how do you present, you know, those kinds of statistics and situations to women in your classes? I mean, not every woman, it's still a big surprise to a lot of women that, these disparities it's exist. It's a huge surprise to non-black women, specifically white women. Mm-hmm. Um, when I uh, talk about the statistics, they're just so shocked. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes, this is the reality for black women on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, perceived as uh, someone who doesn't really need as much health care or as much care in general mm-hmm. as their white counterparts, you know. 
And a lot of the black women who come to my classes, they're like, yeah, I understand, because it's not just during labor and delivery. It's just going to the hospital in general, mm-hmm. you know? Or going to the you clinic know, the kid- or the medical yeah. You know, center. Yeah. Yeah, going yeah. anywhere, really. So for them, it's not really a shock. It's just an everyday experience. But for a lot of the non-black women, they're just really, really um, shocked by this statistic. And, you know, they're like, what can I do? And, like, you know, I don't have the answer. I don't know what they can do personally. I just feel like we need to open up the doors for more doulas. Yes. more midwives, more holistic ways of healing. And, you know, just listening to women, especially black women, when they tell you, hey, this doesn't feel right, or hey, can you check this again? Or, you know, like, I think I need this. Actually listen to them instead of dismissing them right. and, you know, overlooking their issues. I think a lot of it is also structurally built into our healthcare delivery system Mm -hmm. and our billing system. You know, a lot of the Mm -hmm. things that people actually need as human beings don't have insurance codes that we can bill out, you know, and therefore they become dismissed. Like, yeah, bummer. Mm -hmm. I'm really sorry that's happening to you. There's nothing I can do. You don't, you're not covered for that. It's ridiculous. That's, that's, yeah, and that's the easy way out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's beyond me. I have no control. Right. Sorry. Right. Right. So, you know, I don't know the answers to what can people do, but I thought of two things as you were talking. Mm -hmm. One, um, doulas are really, really important, as is midwifery care, because it elevates Mm -hmm. the quality of care that women get and the quantity of time that healthcare providers are spending with them. And doulas are healthcare providers. So bringing these, you know, as, as white women, you can have conversations with other white women about the value that midwifery care and doula care brings to it. You can also be talking to your healthcare providers so that it's not this thing that's dismissed like, oh yeah, yeah, doulas, whatever. You can also be really looking at the people that are representing you in Congress both at the state level and, um, you know, at the federal level and take a look at who is actually making our healthcare policy. Who is it that's Mm -hmm. going to support policies so that doulas actually get paid a living wage so that they can spend Mm -hmm. a 12 hour labor with a woman providing really quality care and make a wage, you know, you can vote for the right people. The other thing you can do is just, um, you can reach out, if there are women in your community and they're pregnant, you can be their friend. Yes. Yeah. Or try. Yeah. They definitely try. They need that physical support. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of comes back to that idea of in person. You know, we live, Mm -hmm. we live online. We're so remote. And I think that it's really valuable to create actual in-person community. We got to take care of each other. Don't we Constance? We do. Yeah. That's how we evolved, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Well, what else do you want women to know? What else do we, you know, first of all, I want to make sure that our listeners can find you online. I, You and I just found each other on Instagram somehow. 
Yeah, I don't know how that happened, but we found each other on Instagram. I know, um, it's my- kind of a miracle because I'm terrible at it. I'm trying really hard. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. I'm trying too. Oh, you know? good. Um, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I need to take better pictures. I need Ugh. to update on a regular basis. Like I don't do Ugh. any of that stuff on social media. But it's like I'm a trying. <laughs> it's like a whole other career. It's so hard. Yeah. 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 But um, how do people on find Instagram, you? I'm Fly Girl Connie with two Y's. Okay. And you can also find me at moms at ohm.la. That's O-M. And I teach weekly prenatal classes, prenatal vinyasa flow, and also prenatal restorative yoga. Okay, great. All right, you ready for my my rapid fire questions? Our last few? Oh my gosh, yes. Ready, ready, ready. Okay, I think this one's going to be easy for you. What role does feminism play in your life? Oh my gosh, it's it's everything to me. Cre- be, being um, equal to everyone here is a human right. No one should be above or below anyone else. We're all on the same path, walking the same path together. So feminism is not only for me as a woman, but it's also for, for men. And I also think that... Um, a lot of white feminists need to step it up and be more intersectional in their feminism and not just talk about issues that affect white women, but issues that affect all women and how we can do better together. Agreed. Okay. How do you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Life is long. Ooh. Life is long. I hear a lot of, you know, life is too short, life is too short, and I feel like it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you just keep saying life is short, then it becomes short, and then one day you'll wake up, and you're 90 years old, and your life is over. But if you say life is long, and you live every day like it's just such a long life, then it becomes that for you. So I love that. That might be my favorite <laughs> answer ever. I really like that. Yeah. You know, and and that is something that people say to um, new parents all the time. You like savor every moment. Life is short. This is going to go by in an instant, and it kind of freaks parents out. (laughs) You know? Yeah. 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 It freaks me out too. So I know. (laughs) Life is long. Yeah. My mantra. Yeah, I love that. I often kind of like to balance that. You know, savor every moment because people will then be afraid of, oh my God, what if I don't? What if I, it's just an average day. It's okay. We're all going to be fine. (laughs) It's all going to be okay. Just do your very best. Yeah. Okay. So my last question for you and answer this any way you want, personal, career, however you like it. Where are you in your life in terms of motherhood? In motherhood, I go back and forth, you know, because I am an auntie and I have 10 nieces and nephews. And I've been an auntie since I was five years old. Um, I really don't know. I have no answer for that because I really do go back and forth. There are some days where my husband and I are like, oh, my gosh, let's have five kids. <laughs> and then there are days when we're like, you know what? 
we'll be good with no kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life is easier. Yeah. Yeah. Life is easier. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I definitely love the energy of children. I feel like they're the closest thing to God energy, you know? Yeah. It's so pure and just full of love and light. So yeah. I definitely love being surrounded by children. But will I have any? Who knows? So for you then, motherhood ha- is more to do about your sisters as mothers, your mother as a mother. You're surrounded yeah. with mothers in your career. You're, you've got mm-hmm. motherhood all over your life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're surrounded. Yeah. Well, Constance, this has been a really fun conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And yes, uh, me too. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. I'd love to chat more down the road. Yes, that would be great. Okay. We'll talk again soon. (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's it for this week. Um, you can learn more about Constance Hartwell at momsatom.la and find her on Instagram at flygirlconnie. You can find me over at jeanfaulkner.com, J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. And please pick up a copy of Mom's Side of the Story. Um, and I'd love to hear your opinion. You can find us on Instagram at Common Sense Pregnancy. We're over on Facebook and I'm on Twitter at Jean Faulkner. You can also email me at Jean at JeanFaulkner.com. And please send me your questions. I'm ready for a new batch and I'd love to answer yours on the podcast. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Let's talk again next week. Bye-bye. Hey guys, we're Sarah and Matthew Bivens, hosts of the Doing It At Home podcast, a show dedicated to empowering stories and resources around home birth. Our mission is to normalize home birth and encourage mamas and families to be educated, supported, and empowered by their birth choices, whatever they are. You can find the podcast in Apple, Google, Stitcher, the Pod Network, and on our website, diahpodcast.com.